So does your career energize you with life or does it drain you? Recent Gallup polls show that a whopping 70% of us feel disengaged in the workplace. There's just gotta be a better way. Welcome to our authentic careers where it is my job to uncover the ideas and strategies that can help you become better aligned with your career. I'm your host, Gert Sabar, and I interview people like you and me about the twists and turns in their career paths so that we can all achieve greater clarity, meaning, and fulfillment in ours. So what do you do when you realize at a pretty early age that the idea of helping, promoting, and lifting up other women is fundamentally your mission in life? The unstated answer from this week's guest seems actually to be quite simple. You go about the business of doing just that. So if you want to know what having a clear purpose and mission looks and feels like, then you'll love this week's conversation with political and fundraising strategist Mather Martin. The clarity of her pursuit is incredibly refreshing. In fact, it'll likely come off as downright jaw-dropping for those of us whose career trajectories have not been as clear. It's truly an awesome sight to behold. But where I want to focus your attention in particular is in the opening minutes of our conversation when Mather almost glazes over what I think is an incredibly important driver. She says, I don't think we're here for very long. And in that one simple sentence, you come to understand not only the urgency of her existence and pursuit, but also, hopefully, the urgency of ours. And I say that not from a pressured point of view, but as an impetus to just take a next step down whatever path you may be exploring. So without further ado, please allow me to introduce you to Mather Martin. Thank you for agreeing to take the time to share your journey. No, of course. I'm excited. Good. Well, question number one for you, Mather. Do you ever think about the concept of purpose or mission or what it is I'm meant to be doing here on this planet? Yeah, I think about it all the time, probably more and more every day, but definitely a lot. And I think that that's one of the main threads I've had that has been going in all the jobs I've had. And um, I don't think, you know, we're here for very long. And I think all we're really supposed to do is, is you know, be happy and healthy and nice to one another and, and you know, make leave this place better than how we found it. But I know personally, I also think all the time that, I'm here to sort of mission-wise help make things better for other women um, who come, you know, alongside of me, before me, after me, whatever the case may be. I know that on my end of things, I really try to keep my purpose and mission focused around um, lifting up other women. Yeah, and Mather, when did you first realize that that, or this idea of lifting up other women was your purpose? I think my mom, you know, was a huge inspiration for me. She um, was a bit of a pioneer um, in terms of, she worked in politics for a long time, but then she started her own organization, and she was a powerhouse, and she always complained about how other women tried to take each other down, and how the one big warning she had for me as I grew up and got older and got into the workforce was to always be good to other women and to watch out for those (laughs) who are not trying to be good to you, and I, I have found, I know that she instilled that in me at a, at a, at a um, young age, and she was a big feminist, just a very pro-fem type person, I guess, and I think yeah. 
I don't think I always, I don't think I always realized that what was, you know, was a, was a big, you know, was a big thing for me, but I think it's become more clear as I've gotten older and, and switched from job to job. And I've had the privilege of being able to manage a lot of people and work with a lot of younger people in my jobs and, um, to help sort of foster younger women has just been a huge priority for me always. And I think will always continue to be. For the benefit of the listeners, can you tell me what it is that you do today? Yeah, today I work for Parker Media. I'm in-house here for Sean Parker, who people might know from, um, he founded Napster and Facebook, um, and he's a big tech icon. Um, I work for him sort of on his political team. So I help advise um, on the political landscape where he wants to get involved, invest his funds, you know, which campaigns he wants to support, which candidates he wants to support. Um, but I've been here since March and um, you know, we were very active in the 2016 cycle, and now we're looking ahead to see what we're, how we're going to want to play and help shape the landscape looking ahead in 2017 and 18 and the cycle in 20 as well. Got it. And are you, Mather, today in your career where you thought you would be when you were younger? Yeah, I would say so. I, I thought that I would, you know, totally go the Aaron Sorkin West Wing route uh-huh. <laughs> West Wing route and, and be one of those crazy, you know, first to the office, last to leave campaign workers who ate pizza out of a box and, and had your best friends on the road. And I would say that that has been my life for the last several years. And, and now at, you know, 34, it's a little bit more sane with the work-life balance with a little bit of more of a corporate edge to it. If I think about what I always hoped for and what I kind of always thought about if I thought of my career in a building block sort of way, I, I, I do think I am where I'd hope to be and where I'd envisioned I'd be. Yeah. And can you tell me what was the earliest idea you had of what you wanted to be when you grew up? I think that um, I was probably eight years old. It was, I think, 90 when... Um, our now Senator Diane Feinstein was running for governor here in California. My mom just liked Diane Feinstein. She worked on her campaign. She volunteered and turned into someone on the finance team. And, you know, seeing my mom get excited about someone like that um, and, you know, the long hours and sort of the fun camaraderie that comes with the campaign, um, that always enticed me. And also, her work, you know, her working for a woman and a, and a, a very strong female leader. Um, she didn't win that race, of course. And I also you know, at that time was also betting money on, you know, years before betting money on Dukakis, you know, winning over Bush at the time. So I was a very young Democrat, a very young feminist, I guess. And so from those days forward, it always was in my mind that I'd be in politics. And then as I think I saw, you know, people a little bit older than I was be on campaigns more and more, it, you know, it, it got, it was very exciting. So from that point forward, from that age, how did that drive sort of your schooling decisions along the way? It wasn't a career that a lot of people knew about or had. So I did think for a while about pre-law and going to law school because that seemed much more normal and that seemed much more realistic. Um, But as soon as I was in college and started learning, taking poli-sci classes and realizing how much there was to learn, and I was learning about immigration reform in college and things like that, it became clear that being more on the campaign side and touching policy as opposed to touching, you know, studying to become an attorney to have to have a much more narrow focus was not what I wanted to do, and that there was plenty of work for young progressives rising up um, in the party, and that's sort of how it came into focus more. Given where you are today, how do you see your career unfolding? Do you have a a different goal in mind in the not-so-distant future? 
Yeah, it's a good question because at this point, this is the first job I've had in years that hasn't been a grind of a campaign. So right this second, it's very hard to envision anything other than this kind of setting where we get to be very creative um, and innovative with how we want to be, um, you know, involved in the political world. But I would say that I could see myself being involved in one more big campaign, like a presidential, perhaps in 2020. I don't think last month shook out quite the way I thought it would. So I think right. it's it sort of you know, made me made me look ahead to 2020, which which means that maybe in about two years, there could be a presidential I could end up being a part of. And then, you know, beyond that, I like what I do where I like being attached to principles who I believe in very strongly and can help them, you know, be a close advisor to them on making decisions. Um, and so I, I want to stay in that kind of world if I can. Yeah. And let's talk more about this idea of lifting women up. Um, how much do you fall back on that concept as a kind of daily driver? Is that is that a consistently conscious thing in your mind? Yeah, it is. I mean, there's people, you know, right now in my office, there's a young woman who uh, doesn't have as much experience in politics or in the events or in the fundraising that I touch a lot of. But you know, every day she wants to learn more, and I try to go out of my way to make sure I teach her something every day, or I let her be a part of something every day if she wants to, so that she keeps growing her skill set and has whatever, you know, opportunities then ahead of her, if she, you know, that maybe she wouldn't have had the year before if she hadn't had that experience, and right now, every day, you're getting a lot of calls from people that are transitioning um, in D.C. or elsewhere, people who want to go work for my old boss, Kamala Harris, in her Senate office. I have, I've been hearing from people in my political world who I haven't heard from in years, so many of them in the last few weeks, and I'm trying to help people figure out what they want to do next, help people try to get certain jobs. And a lot of times I try to put more energy and focus behind um, women I know who I think will do wonderful work, not just because they're women, obviously, but I think they'll also do wonderful work. So, you know, anytime I have an opportunity to focus on that, I try to take it. Yeah. And so you mentioned um, your mom. Can you tell me a little bit more about what she did and what your parents um, do or did? Yeah, um, my mom, uh, she was was an attorney, and she actually, she was from Memphis, and she came to San Francisco, and she and my dad opened up a Memphis-style barbecue restaurant here in San Francisco, Uh but separate from from that, she, she was an attorney, she practiced for a while, and then went into politics and, like I said, worked for Dianne Feinstein, um, did the gubernatorial race, did her Senate race, and then ended up actually getting uh, breast cancer when she was on the Senate race. She she thought through that, survived, and then started a nonprofit called the Breast Cancer Fund, which was then her life's work after that. Um, she started it in our living room by doing mailers there and then ran this nonprofit for a long time um, where she was sort of working on the prevention side of breast cancer and the environmental factors and things like that. And my dad was in the mortgage business. I also have a stepmom and a stepdad and uh, stepdad's an artist and stepmom is re- retired travel agent. So I have a lot of parents that I'll do a lot of different things. <laughs> yeah, got it. And um, what would you say has been, you talked a lot about the impact of your mom, any other impact from your parents, uh, either explicitly or implicitly on your career path to date? Yeah, I will say, um, you know, um, I, being an only child and a daughter, and I, I went to an all-girls school from kindergarten through eighth grade, a school that I actually am now visiting a lot now that I'm back home and I'm speaking to the young girls a lot, which is great. Um, I think that my dad just took a huge interest in my career, and he's been such a cheerleader and such a, 
um, a proponent of everything I've done, that he has, he's always just empowered me to, you know, be very strong in my career. And, 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 you know, it's hard sometimes as a woman in the workforce to know how to navigate the waters. And he's been a really great guide in that respect. And then I would say separately, my stepdad who came into my life and my mom's life when I was very young, um, is a feminist himself. And he was, so supportive of my mom and everything she did and same with me he's almost like more of a feminist than she was and that uh-huh. I am than I am and yeah. so you know just his, just his spirit behind that is, is one that I will never I could never say how grateful I am for it because it's, it's rare to find you know in anyone let alone a parent or a father let me ask you this on a scale of zero to ten where zero is a total non-issue and ten is a big dark gloomy shadow how large a shadow would you say that financial considerations have had over your career path to date? It's probably more like a three and a half or four. Uh-huh. Um, I'd say just, it's mostly because I work in the in the field of passion, right? So like you you know you're driven more by passion projects than you're than you are by anything else. But I will say it is a it is an industry where you can set a lot of your own terms um, politics. You know, there's only so many jobs and so many campaigns, and I don't work. I don't work on the government side. Right? I work on the campaign side, where like right. budgets are flexible. Sometimes I'm even in charge of the budget. Sometimes I raise the money for the budget. So right. I will say, if you don't, if you don't step up and wield, you know, wield your power where you can to help things shake out the way you need them to, then you're missing an opportunity. So I feel like. I was driven to do a lot of the things I was driven to do because I wanted to be in that world. I wanted to support that candidate. I wanted to be on that cam- campaign because I wanted to see things get better in a city, a state, or whatever the case may be. But, you know, it's hard work and you do need to get rewarded for it. And to have a strong voice to be able to do that and have the confidence to do that has come with the territory and it's been a great educational experience. So it has made the money piece much more important than maybe I would have thought it was going to be. Does the money aspect or the financial aspect, does it feel burdensome in any way? No, I don't think it feels burdensome. I don't think it feels burdensome. I think it's, it's, it's again, I come from a unique place where oftentimes I'm raising the money that I'm, that for my own right. salary. So um, it's a unique place to be in, I guess. It's not burdensome. I would say a lot of times when I'm advising younger people in this industry, a lot of what comes up, especially with women, is figuring out how to advise them on asking for more and navigating those waters. Again, like the great advice I got from my father and other people in my life and advice that I try to pass on to other people. I think it's just, it's a hard industry because people want you to just work free for free every day. And then you're that you're the last one there. And then all of a sudden you get an offer and that's kind of what politics, that's what it's all about. Right. Uh, but at some point you, you can't get taken advantage of. So it's not a burden technically, but it is a very delicate thing in politics, I think. And I think you just have to get ahead of it and be and very always be very clear on what you, you are and are not willing to do for what price or else you might get sort of behind where you want to be. Thinking back on your career to date and thinking back on your friends, family and colleagues throughout the year, is there a consistent thread in the type of counsel that people have sought from you? Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, people in general, if they just want to know anything about politics, they come to me whether they yep. know who I'm working for that year, that year or not. Right. Um, they also they kind of think if you're in politics, you know every single thing about politics, right. which is, you know, which is like the blanket thing, and that's funny. Um, 
I would say people do like to run scenarios by me because I think they've seen me in a lot of very unique work scenarios. Like just one, I mean, it's just not normal. I'm not in a normal corporate situation and I've, I've had to work on my feet a lot and, you know, move around and, you know, jump from team to I, whatever it is. I feel like it's, I've had a more, just a more unique, um, you know, path than a lot of other people have. So when it comes to figuring out difficult situations, I have a lot of people being like, Hey, can you help me make a decision about like, should I try to go for this job? Should I move for this job? How do you think, what's the best approach to getting the job? So I, I do get a lot of that. I mean, again, I've managed a lot of people in my life. So, you know, it comes back around, but there is a consistent thread in that it's a lot about the direction of where they want to take their careers and how best to get there. It comes up a lot. Yeah. What do you, what do you make of being sought out for that type of counsel? I, I'm just glad that, that I formed bonds with people that, that they felt as strongly about the bonds as I certainly did. <laughs> so it's yeah. good to know that, that, it's, that it's double-sided and it's good to know um, that, you know, it pays off to, I think, also stay in touch with people. You know, I think I'm very good at staying in touch with people that I've worked with and that I've been friends with and that I've had relationships with. And I think, there's no point in ever, you know, falling off with people or like letting them just, you know, fade away. And I think, you know, to stay up on what people are doing and what they need and what you might need from them and not in a transactional way, but just more like keep, keep the conversations going always and keep the networks going always. There's always, it's always going to be beneficial and sort of positive for everybody involved. So I, I make of it that um, it's a very natural thing that happens when you get into a relationship with me, basically. And, and if we've had like a, you know, positive working experience together. And, and also, I love seeking advice, too. I love bouncing ideas off people. I love getting opinions and soliciting opinions. And so I guess I would also say it mirrors the way I am with other folks as well. What would you say has been the biggest career aggravation so far? Um, I would say, you know, there's, you find yourself on teams where you're the workhorse, you know, you're younger on a team and you're the workhorse and you just have to put your head down and do the work. And sometimes you don't always, you don't necessarily feel underappreciated, but you're not, you're not sure if people are seeing you or, or like seeing all of what you're doing. And, you know, cause you're not in a formal corporate setting. You're not having year end reviews. You're not having three, six, you know, you're not, you're not in a typical place where there's there's benchmarks to make sure things are being met or whatever. And so sometimes when there's a lot of, you know, big cooks in the kitchen and you're not always at the table with them yet, it's a little bit stressful to know how you're doing and then yeah. and then you might have to wait a year a year or so to to finally figure out that, that, that according to other people, you were doing as well as you thought you were doing, but you didn't really know. And that also still plays into the you know, gender thing as well, too. Like, I think I've often been one of the only females on a team of a lot of men. And there's, it's just, it, it, it feels as such, you, you just, you're, you're, you don't look like the other people on the team, and you don't necessarily act like the other people on the team. And you have to sort of look out for yourself and just make sure that you're being seen and being heard. And that's, that's been an aggravation in, on a lot of different, in a lot of different settings that I've been in, for sure. Yeah, and any words of wisdom for others who find themselves in similar settings? Yeah, like, you know, do put your head down and do do the work. All that really matters is that you are doing the work you sought out to do. You're doing a good job like you sought out to do. You're trying to get the mission accomplished that you sought out to accomplish in the first place. That's all that really matters, you know, and it's not about 
you know, and the accolades should hopefully come from that, and the raise should hopefully come from that, the promotion should hopefully come from that. But, of course, it's not always a given. So it is important, I think, to befriend people, to, you know, use your voice, not, you know, not in this squeaky wheel way as much as just don't be shy. Make sure that, like, you always use any opportunity to get to know other people on your team, including those who are older and, and more advanced. And, you know, ha- find your mentors and find your people who you trust and make sure that you've got, you always know you've got people looking out for you because, again, one day hopefully you will be in a position where you can help look out for other people as well. And relatedly, Mather, what's, what's the most difficult part of being in a profession of, uh, where, like you said, it's a, it's a passion profession? Um, I can say from this past month that it is hard when you, you know, you've been working for something for a long time, you know, whether it was directly, I used to work for Hillary Clinton, for example, I didn't work for her directly this cycle, but I did a lot indirectly for her this cycle. And, you know, when you work for an entity that is not directly partisan or, you know, but you, you know, you feel a certain way about a candidate or a project, but maybe your boss or the entity you work for, like, they don't. So you, you know, you have to separate sometimes the passion from the profession a little bit. Um, this is the first time that I've ever been outside of a campaign um, again. So this was, this was a unique place to be in the last month, um, just because, you know, I, I work in a place now where I, you know, I'm not, I'm not sitting here doing the same thing that the 15 people next to me are doing. We're not all working for the exact same cause, right? We all have sort of different roles. Um, and so you do have to just make sure that you, you know, you do your job first and you sort of keep your, your personal side of it, that's secondary to it. Even, even if you're working on a campaign that you care a lot about, it's still the work that comes first and your the personal side of it always has to follow because that's, you know, you're there to do a job. That's why you signed up in the first place. Yeah. And, but, um, but when it doesn't go your way, like this past month, how are you continuing? Uh, this last month has been horrible, obviously. Um, you know, needless to say, I mean, for those of us who wanted it to go a certain way, I think that right now, um, and I probably took more time to mourn than, than, than a lot of people, and I admit that, um, I think that I feel very, very, very lucky that I worked, I used to work for Hillary, and I know that she'll be strong and resilient. I used to work for Cory Booker, a senator from New Jersey, yep. who... I know, despite being in the minority, is going to go on to help keep the Senate a positive place. And we used to work for Kamala Harris, the new senator from California, yep. that's going to join Korea in doing that. And right now, I'm lucky enough to work for a brilliant, smart, thoughtful guy who's going to want to help make positive change in 2017. So I know that at the very least, I'm sitting in a seat where I can help push the needle and make sure our country continues in a good direction going forward. If I weren't sitting here in this seat, I would feel much more helpless and probably more distraught, but I know that I can make change and do good work from where I am. Um, are there any career decisions, decisions looking back that you would today choose to undo or somehow redo? I don't think so, not one. On the flip side, are there any particular career highlights that you would tout? I think um, uh, working, I mean, working for Hillary um, in 2007, 2008 was the greatest thing you could ever do as a young person, you know, 24, 25 year old, um, you know, to, to, to do field on a presidential of that, you know, that was so historic at the time is, is second to none. And it was, you know, great being in California when it was Obama versus Clinton, because 
that's a very rare and unique kind of scenario for the state of California in a primary. That was, that was, um, you know, a really, a really just unique time. Like nothing will sort of ever match that, I don't think. And to move on to the superdelegate side of that was amazing too. And to be a part of convention where we released her delegates to Obama and being a part of, you know, his nomination was huge. I was very supportive of him as well. And to be a part of, um, I'd say, Kamala's campaign um, for AG, for Attorney General, yep. that was a historic campaign as well. That was a hard-fought campaign. I don't think I've ever worked so hard in my life. Um, that was huge. And, and then also seeing um, Senator Booker uh, join, um, get to D.C. in 2013, to see... Um, his constituents and people who look like him, watch him as a minority get into the Senate was something I, I didn't anticipate feeling the way I did it. It was, it was truly, um, it was heavy and it was real and it was historic. And that also helped me want to work on Kamala's Senate campaign. Again, I think that it's, it, we don't realize still how, how white DC is and how male dominated DC is. You know, we, we, we know it, but we don't see it every day sometimes. And I think, being a part of those three historic things, um, you know, are very, very proud for me. I'm very excited about those things. Then last question for you here, knowing what you know today, how would you advise your younger self? I would say um, just to be, you know, more confident at a younger age. I think I was very, um, I was a little just, you know, tepid at first, a little shy coming out of college, not I just don't, I know my mom's advice to me was always just go try it. Just go do it. Just go put yourself out there. Just go ask the person a question. Just go tell them this. Go just, just do it. And I always thought she was so funny and so silly and just so like willing to do anything. It seemed right. like a bit much, but I think that, but I think she was right. I mean, there's really no harm in putting yourself out there and there's no harm in trying and there's no harm in having a little extra confidence, but again, like women sometimes just don't always have, especially as compared to their, their male, their male peers and colleagues. And so I would, if I could have gotten that confidence sooner, I mean, maybe it would have been inflated at the time. I mean, maybe now I've earned it. And so I, you know, so it's, it's easier to stand on, but if I could have trusted myself a little bit sooner at a younger age, I think it would have for, um, you know, just, just to, just to be a faster, a faster start, um, you know, with stronger legs to stand on. Yeah. And actually, Mather, one more question for you that reminds me, you mentioned earlier on when we spoke, um, your mom talking to you about, uh, women getting in the way of other women. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Can you tell me a little bit more about what your, what her words of wisdom were? Yeah, she just, she, you know, she had she had started this organization. She started a board, and and you know, and, you know, when anyone wants power, you know, and someone's standing in their way of power, you know, they'll do whatever they can. You know, they'll take a Machiavellian approach to get there. And I think women are cutthroat sometimes, more so when it comes to other women. And I and I see a lot of this with my peers and 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 them in the workforce and bosses they have, and um, with just sort of generational gaps sometimes. And I know my mom's advice was. It was less about how to face it if it happens to you, but it was more about paying it forward that if you're in a position of power and you have a chance to empower somebody or cut them down, you know, not only, you know, not only, you know, empower them, but like really try to foster that too and pass the same thing on to them and try to just make sure this cycle of, you know, women cutting down other women's thoughts. And I, I mean, I, I could go on forever about how I think this played a lot into the campaign and Hillary as yeah. well, but 
Um, but, you know, it, it's something that is, is, it happens every day. It happens without people realizing it. It's an unspoken thing. But I think if we pause and take a minute and realize how important it is to support one another, and especially, you know, female to female, we could all be better off for it. Mather Martin, fantastic way to finish the conversation. Thank you so much for being so forthright about your, uh, your journey. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Our Authentic Careers with me, your host, Gert Sabar. If you like what you just heard, I hope you'll let your family, friends, and colleagues know all about this little podcast. And since it's early days here at the OAC, your rating and especially your review of the show on iTunes would also be hugely helpful and very much appreciated. If you think you or someone you know would be a great guest, please, 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 please don't hesitate to reach out at ourauthenticcareers.com.